This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. Today, we will look at stroke awareness. Stroke is the number one cause of adult disability in Singapore. And according to the Singapore Stroke Registry Annual Report 2020 that was just released in October this year, about 7.1% of ischemic stroke patients received the clot-busting drug to dissolve blood clots that caused the stroke. And this number is up from 2.6% in 2010. It's an improvement, but it can be better. So today we have Professor Deidre Anne De Silvia, the Head and Senior Consultant at the Department of Neurology at the National Neuroscience Institute, Singapore General Hospital campus, to tell us more about the importance of getting to the hospital in time, about spotting stroke symptoms, and then watching out for symptoms that are often missed. Hi, Deidre. Welcome to Health Check. Hi. Nice to be here. So we last spoke about stroke awareness a few years back, right? So can you tell us what has changed since then? You know, are people still taking the bus, the MRT, like you told me back then, or going to the GP? So there's good news in that more people are coming in. We are treating more people with the hyperacute treatments that we have available. So we have seen a rise in the clot busting treatment used from 2.6% 10 years ago and now up to 7.1%. And for the clot retrieval procedure, we've seen it gone up 26% year on year in the last five years. So that's good news. But we can do better. We still have many people who are coming in too late to be considered for some of these treatments. And still many who are coming in are not using the ambulance system. Yes, still using public transport in some way. Are still unfortunately going to their primary care physician, either in the polyclinic or their general practitioners. And then the doctor's there having to call for an ambulance. Um, so that delays things. And it's best to come to hospital. We can offer treatments which are proven to reduce disability, as well as to put into place monitoring and prevention of complications. Right. So every minute counts, right? I think that's quite important to actually bring up, especially with healthier SG. Yes. So very much. I mean, I think that our general practitioners and primary care physicians are essential to the care of stroke in many ways for prevention of stroke and after a stroke uh, in caring for these individuals. But in the acute setting, it is really an emergency. And the treatments and the investigations can only be done in the hospital. And that is why uh, we need people to realize that when they recognize the symptoms of stroke, the appropriate action is to call 995 for an ambulance. Right. There's only one way, right? Only one way. <laughs> call 995. Yeah. Go by the ambulance to the hospital. That's right. So earlier you mentioned that 7.1% figure, right? So it shows that the number of stroke patients who made it to the hospital within 4.5 hours to get the clot-busting drug, right? So this means that a lot of patients don't get the treatment, right? Is the number low? And then, you know, what happens to these people who don't get the treatment? So the number, we do think that we can push that number higher. We do see in other countries where, you know, up to maybe 15% of patients get treated with the clot-busting treatment. And we hope through these public awareness strategies that we will be able to get more people coming in earlier to be eligible for these treatments. But beyond these treatments of the clot-busting and the clot-retrieving uh, procedure, there's a lot of other care that is very important in the acute stages of stroke. And so even if patients are not eligible for these treatments, there are other very important nursing and medical care uh, that can be put into place. One example for uh, is blood pressure, which is very important in the acute stroke period. So that is something that can be monitored and treated accordingly. 
We also need to assess patients in terms of their swallowing function uh, because swallowing can be affected. And if people eat and drink, when their swallowing is affected, they can choke and develop pneumonias, which can be very severe. We can also institute treatments uh, to prevent early recurrence of stroke, to find out the cause of stroke in each individual and to put in prevention strategies. So there's a whole lot of other things that happen when a patient comes into hospital. Uh, so even if they're not eligible for these treatments, those things will be instituted. So how many of these patients who were treated in time, that means they made it to the hospital within 4.5 hours of symptom onset, right, will be able to return to life as before? So first, the window of four and a half hours is what we have for the clot busting treatment. For the clot retrieval procedure, actually, uh, the windows now with advanced imaging strategies that we, with new evidence that we have, we can potentially treat patients up to 24 hours. But we still want people to come in earlier because whatever treatment we put into place, you know, if we treat you at two hours versus four and a half hours, the outcome is better at two hours. In terms of how many people actually go back to return to normal life in, in a way, 60% uh, or two thirds of stroke patients will have some long-standing disability. So you're going with one third of patients who maybe don't have that long-term disability, but it doesn't mean that they don't have any symptoms. And while we have some patients who have very minimal symptoms or no symptoms at all and no disability, there is always an adjustment after stroke because it's a, a big life event that somebody experiences. But we do see many more patients who are treated with the clot busting treatment or the procedure who are able to go back to their usual activities, a much higher proportion than patients who are not treated. Uh, so we do know that in terms of numbers, one in three will go back to a better outcome with the treatment compared to without the treatment. Uh, so that is uh, a significant number. Uh, with such a big life event, you know, it does change someone's outlook. Many uh, stroke survivors actually have to deal with a lot of psychological consequences as well. Uh, worrying about whether another stroke may occur. It is a traumatic event. So um, Deidre, earlier you mentioned that treatment within 24 hours. Can you explain a little bit, like, you know, what actually happens if you get your treatment within two hours and 24 hours? Yeah. So basically for the type of stroke where with these two treatments that we're talking about is when there's a blocked blood vessel and part of the brain is not receiving enough nutrients and blood and oxygen. And therefore the tissue is compromised. And with, as you mentioned, with every minute that passes, more and more brain cells die. The earlier we can re-establish flow, either by the clot-busting drug to reopen the blood vessel or by mechanically pulling out the clot that is blocking the blood vessel, if we re-establish flow early enough, then that cell is more likely to survive. So as more and more time passes, more and more brain cells die. And once they are, you know, in a way, completely damaged, we can't really reverse it. So that's why the earlier treatment is always the best and allows us to re-establish flow early and allows us to salvage as many brain cells as possible, uh, which in turn results in better outcome in terms of mobility and other neurological deficits. Right, but actually, I mean, just to understand, so what happens after 24 hours? I mean, if you have such symptoms, it will be very obvious already, isn't it? Yes, after a certain time point, the reason why some of these treatments can't be put into place is, you know, the brain cells have already actually been damaged such that it cannot be reversed. 
Uh, so the treatments, therefore, will not be effective. Also, as more time passes, some of the risks which are associated with those treatments go up. Uh, so time is one factor, but of course, there are many other factors that have to be considered. And that's why some people who come in early may not be eligible for these treatments if we think that the risk of treatment outweighs any potential benefit. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we can extend now beyond the earlier time windows that we had a few years ago is with use of advanced imaging. So with use of MRI scans or CT scans with perfusion and other ways of um, looking at the brain tissue more closely, we can better make that risk-benefit assessment. Right. So when did this start? Previously, there wasn't this advanced imaging that you mentioned. It's been coming up along the way. (laughs) Um, And we're very happy that we're seeing more and more advances. So we now can treat patients who wake up with their symptoms or who may not be able to tell us when the symptoms started with uh, MRI. Just recently at the World Stroke Congress that was in Singapore in October, we heard data come out looking at collateral flow. That means looking at blood flow from other blood vessels which are trying to help the tissue involved by supplying oxygen and nutrients to it in a different way. And if we see that, it gives us an assessment that tissue is more likely going to be able to be salvaged. Uh, And so with that, now we've got another indication to treat people in a longer window. Okay, that's great. But today, so there are still people coming in after 24 hours. Oh, yes. (laughs) Unfortunately. People coming in after 24 hours. Right. I think many people hope that, you know, with a night's rest, um, you know, that tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and things are going to be better. Uh, But, you know, that's really not advisable. And many people also think that if the symptoms are improving, and so it's going to continue to improve. So maybe gives them a false sense of security. Right. Because many patients, even when they improve uh, initially, there's also a potential for it to deteriorate. Uh, And so we've seen that many, many times. So even if the symptoms have completely resolved, please do come to hospital because we do need to assess you and it can worsen. And, you know, that treatment in hospital is quite essential for those cases as well. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Professor Deidre Ann De Silvia, the Head and Senior Consultant at the Department of Neurology at the National Neuroscience Institute, Singapore General Hospital Campus. So let's talk about the symptoms. I think that that's really important because some of them get missed, right? And then like you mentioned, they get ignored. Yeah. So the, the fast symptoms include um, slurred speech, weakness on uh, one side of the face or drooping out the corner of the mouth and weakness in the arms or legs on one side, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are the symptoms that are often, uh, you know, ignored or easily missed? Yeah, so the fast acronym, face drooping, arm weakness, speech difficulty, Those are the the most common, and I think when people miss them is when sometimes they are mild, so they maybe ignore them, I guess, in some way. The other point, as we brought up, is when they improve. So at onset, it might be more severe, and then it's improving, so they think it's going to continue to improve, and therefore they hope and uh, choose not to come to hospital. But again, that's not what we should be doing. Um, And third is sometimes people think I need to have all three. I need to have the face drooping, the arm weakness and the speech difficulty for it to be a stroke. 
any one of those symptoms can be a, a sign of a stroke. Mm-hmm. So with any one of them, even mild, even improving, uh, the call to action is uh, to call for an ambulance. So actually, you know, we talk about drooping or slurred speech. Right? I mean, those I feel, at least to me, can be quite obvious. But, you yeah. know, weakness in the arms and legs. Yeah. And, you know, especially if we talk to the elderly, they, they're always uh, saying, you know, they have tired legs and arms. So, yeah. you know, how do you tell, right? So, you know, I think it may be difficult, but if you mistake it as a stroke and it turns out to be something else, it's fine, you know, Uh, but you don't want to miss a stroke. You know, I think we understand that there can be other causes for those symptoms, well-known, and uh, that mimic a stroke, but we can't tell. And often we may not even be able to tell without imaging. Uh, So you still need to come to hospital. We will assess you. Uh, If it is not a stroke, then, you know, we will look for what the cause of the symptoms are and try to address that other cause. But if it is a stroke, then treatment can be instituted. So, yes, there are some people who come in. uh, It looks very much like a stroke. The paramedics in the ambulance will also identify it as a possible stroke. They could come to hospital um, and we would need specialized tests for us to distinguish stroke versus things that may look like a stroke. So let's say if the weakness um, it is mild, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have some ache. You know, how mild is mild? Like how can people tell? Yeah, um, it's tough. <laughs> but I, I think that it, it is not an ache, right? So that's one differentiation. It, it is not, I am not able to move because of pain. It is, I'm not able to move because of weakness or a lack. Uh, you know, so I often say it's an issue with strength not an issue that I'm, I can't move my arm because of pain or because of stiffness. It's you can't move your arm because it's weak. Uh, there's a lack of power. So it may be difficult when it happens uh, to differentiate, but I guess that may help to uh, individuals that weakness, meaning a lack of strength or a lack of power can help them a little bit. But again, if you're not sure, always uh, better to err on the side of uh, caution, call the ambulance, uh, let the medical team assess you. If it isn't, we would treat whatever other cause it is. But if it is a stroke, then we can institute stroke treatment. You know, if you mentioned the lack of strength, is there some tests that they can do? Like, you know, maybe can they lift up a, yeah. a cup of coffee or something? Yeah. <laughs> so we ask people to lift their arm up mm-hmm. and to notice if there's any drooping of the arm. Right. Uh, And that is one way that you can tell. So it doesn't mean that you just can't lift it up. You may be able to lift it up and hold it up. But, you know, if you wait 10 seconds and you see that it's drooping or it's it's starting to fall down and drifting downwards, then that is one indication. But, you know, if you have weakness in your hand, for example, um, like you said, you're holding a cup of coffee, you find you have difficulty holding that cup of coffee and it's falling you're spilling things uh, as a result of that weakness in your hand. You don't have to do the arm test. <laughs> uh, you can just call the ambulance straight away. Um, and uh, so similarly for the face, we ask people to smile or grimace or something to see whether there's a, a difference between the left and right sides of your face. You would know what you look like. So, you know, you're the best person to assess if there's a difference, uh, if there's any drooping when you're trying to smile, then that again, would help you to pick up the face droop. And speech difficulty, just to emphasize that it may be slurring of speech, so it doesn't sound clear, and the words may be difficult to understand because of articulation. But sometimes it is speech difficulty in terms of language. 
So the words come out in terms of articulation as clear, but they are jumbled. Ah. Uh, so you are not able to express yourself appropriately because the language area in the brain is affected or uh, you're not able to repeat what somebody is saying to you or to understand what someone is saying to you. Um, so, you know, we ask people to just try saying things and see, you know, whether it's coming out as slurred or even inappropriate because you have a problem with the language area. Um, so that's the way for the face, arm and speech to be determined. Yeah, like when we mentioned, you know, those can be obvious if they are serious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like the weakness, you know. But what are the less obvious symptoms to watch out for? I mean, apart from the mild weakness that we talked about. Um, so the face, arm and speech does identify the majority of stroke. And, and it's uh, a good way to remember it because you can remember the fast. There are some other symptoms of stroke which can occur. Uh, so eye symptoms, either double vision or unable to see from one eye uh, of sudden onset. Imbalance, so a sudden onset of very severe giddiness, incoordination, difficulty, uh, walking uh, and swaying to one side may be a cause, uh, a, a symptom of stroke. One type of stroke will present with a severe headache uh, and described as the most severe headache you would have experienced in your life. And that is typical of uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is an unusual form of bleeding uh, from stroke. As we pointed out, all of these symptoms can also be due to other things uh, and you, know, you would need a medical assessment to distinguish between stroke and other causes. So earlier when we talk about the clot-busting drug, that's for ischemic strokes, right? Which yeah. account for up to 85-90% of all strokes? 85, yeah. Right, so the rest are like the more severe hemorrhagic stroke. And those develop very rapidly. Mm -hmm. So for those, right, I mean, you know, are there treatment if you get to the hospital after a certain time? So both ischemic and hemorrhagic strokes are acute. Abrupt onset just happens with a bang. Uh, so you can't distinguish it by the onset. Uh, it has to be distinguished by imaging. For hemorrhagic strokes, there are definite treatments that can be given. Blood pressure is very important in hemorrhagic stroke and blood pressure management uh, will in some ways control the expansion of the size of the bleeding in the brain. Uh, for some cases, there may be need for urgent surgical procedures to be done, evacuation of the clots. Uh, close monitoring is very essential because you could get complications and then require surgery later on. And then as we mentioned, all that general medical and nursing care for prevention of complications, um, managing fluid status, which is equally important in hemorrhagic stroke due to bleeding compared to the ischemic stroke, which is due to blockage of blood vessels. And the number of stroke patients is still going up right every year. Yeah. So it will go up because we're aging, right? Right. I think in terms of age, uh, one of the things that we note is that we're seeing an increase in the number or the proportion of the incidence of stroke in, in the younger population from 40 to 49 and uh, 50 to 59. Wow. And, um, you know, I think that that is because people in that age group may think I'm not someone who's going to get a stroke. Yeah. I'm too young for stroke. But that is the population where really screening is very important for risk factors. Right. Um, so, you know, that's when you need to start checking your blood pressure, checking your cholesterol levels and your sugars, taking if you were diagnosed with them, you know, following up with the doctors, uh, taking your medications to control those risk factors, 
And those risk factors are mainly asymptomatic. So you wouldn't know unless you screen. So to wrap up, right, I'm sure you have your, your friends and family, you know, when they ask you, you know, what's your advice that, you know, that one piece of advice that you usually give them when it comes to like stroke awareness and prevention? So I think that really what strikes me is the data shows us that we can prevent 80% of strokes. So if you look at 8,800 strokes that happened in 2020, that means 7,000 of them could potentially have been prevented. That's a huge number. Uh, And we're talking about simple interventions, but this really requires each individual to take responsibility. Um, So screening for those risk factors, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, you know, stop smoking if you smoke, uh, exercise, loss of weight, you know, maintaining a healthy diet. I see patients all the time who come in and tell me, you know, I'm, I'm relatively trim, I'm fit, I exercise. We see people have strokes while they are exercising. You know, I don't smoke. But then you look at their bloods when they come in and their cholesterol levels are high and we check their blood pressure and their blood pressure is high and they may be diabetic or pre-diabetic. You know, it's great that people keep fit, uh, keep trim, don't smoke and such, but you may have these undiagnosed risk factors and uh, that requires screening. So I think that would be my number one message. Um, Let's just all be a bit more careful uh, and try to prevent strokes. I think the hospital systems and, and the stroke care physicians are all ready to treat patients. So if anybody has a stroke, um, you know, please come in early so you can be considered for those treatments. But we'd be very happy to see far less strokes uh, if we can prevent as many strokes as possible. Right. It's, it's sobering, isn't it? So stroke is the number one cause, right, of adult disability in Singapore and actually around the world, possibly? Is that Yes. So number one cause about adult disability uh, in terms of uh, mortality is number four in Singapore, number two across the world. Yeah. So it has very serious consequences. And the number to remember is four out of five strokes are preventable. Yes, four out of five. It's a huge number. <laughs> yes, yeah. Deidre, thanks for your time today and for sharing all these tips and advice. Thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.